Good morning, Mount Zion. Great to see it. Beautiful day today. Everybody doing okay? Good, good. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. Give the Lord a praise this morning. Coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break.
Please be in uh, prayer for Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Anna had some car trouble this morning. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but man, when you got little ones and the car is messing up, it freaks me out. It's just one of those things. So keep them in prayer for some car favor. That's what they need this morning. And then also for Bob, who's had to take his mother to the hospital. She's having some issues. She's doing okay. But please keep uh, Bob's mother in prayer as well as Bob uh, during this time. So first of all, I just want to say, I wish Pastor Anna was here because she was amazing on Friday night. I, uh, she not only, so Friday night we went into Pioneer Elementary School, which is such a great special school. I just love that place. And uh, we went there for their Harvest Carnival, and it was a fundraiser for Science Camp and a few other things. We donate the snow cones, cotton candy, and popcorn, and we give them some candy as well. Um, I forgot to count the tickets, but there were hundreds of them, and each ticket was a dollar. So I know we raised a few, uh, several hundred dollars for them just by being there. That's pretty cool. That's cool. But we also just got to serve the school and be in there. Anna had ordered stuff, got things ready for us. Everything was right there in the middle of the kitchen, everything laid out. What I didn't know is that she ran that whole event for Pioneer Elementary and did such a wonderful job. And we were just so proud of her. She's a real light in that school. And it was just awesome. Thank you to our volunteers who came. I know I'm going to forget somebody. Eva and Hugh, you were so wonderful being there. Coulter, Nalani, you, you were snow coning it for days. I know my wife was there. Who, uh, Jerry was there. Who am I forgetting, Jerry? Ah, oh, Susan was there, and Andrew was there, and uh, it, was, it was a great, great time, and, and it's always nice to serve the schools. So that's, that, that I'm just thankful for. And Pastor Anna asked if it would be okay. Um, they'd have another fundraiser for, um, for uh, the, I don't know if this is, yeah, this is for, I think, I don't know what it's for. Huh? It's, 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 it is for science camp, more science camp. And so uh, there's an insert in there on the Pioneer Night Out. Uh, if you can attend and support them, or just write them a check and say, hey, we want to help out with the uh, science camp. You know, those camps for kids, if you remember going to camp when you were a kid, it was like, you know, it was like a hundred bucks for the whole week. Now it's like four days, and it's like five, six hundred bucks for each kid. It's expensive to send them. Yeah, it's, and that's any camp, even, even the summer camp for kids nowadays, uh, I know through the AG, or at least $250, $300. And it's, it's, expensive nowadays. So if you can help out Pioneer Elementary and, and help uh, continue supporting our schools, that is wonderful. Also, you'll notice Refresh has a couple of things. These are for all you, all of you over 55ers. <laughs> I keep forgetting I'm over 55, way over. Um, they have not only their Christmas party in December, you'll see it in your bulletin, they also are going out to lunch after church on the 12th, so two weeks from today. They're going down to Las Minas and uh, go ahead and have lunch down there. Next Sunday, we have a couple things happening. First of all, uh, your clocks, don't forget to set them back if you have to set them back. Nowadays, my phone just does it for me. I never trust it, though. It freaks me out all the time. But uh, we have to fall back. Uh, if you don't set your uh, clocks back, that's okay. Just come to church early. Nothing wrong with that. 
So we'd love to have you. And so that, that is next Sunday, as well as Sandwich Sunday, in which we will be having brunch. So we're going to have brunch downstairs. My wife, I'm excited about, is making this layered egg dish that I really like that she makes in the crock pot. And so that's next Sunday. Please join us. What am I forgetting? Oh, we started a new series on on Wednesday night, uh, When Things Don't Go Your Way. It's a fantastic series. We just started it. You can hop in this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And Jerry is still downstairs at 9 o'clock with the awe of God. So we encourage you to do that. Am I forgetting anything, folks? No? No? I'm doing okay? That was pretty... What? No, we'll skip it. That's okay. We, we're running a little late. So, good. Let's take uh, five minutes. Can we do five minutes? You get 300 seconds or so and say hi to one another, greet one another, bless one another, and encourage someone today. And I also just want to say good morning to everybody watching online today. God bless you. Uh, we love you. And uh, we consider you part of our, our church. Let me see if I got... Yeah, there I did. My mic on. <laughs> hey, I just I want to say comment. Let us know if this ministry is blessing you. You can also go to our website. The link is right there, mtzchurch.org. And you can go to online giving if you'd like to support this ministry. We definitely would love to hear from you. If there's any prayer needs you have or anything we can do, please let us know. Stay today. Today we're going to wrap up our series on the tug of war on the flesh and the spirit. And I believe it's a life-changing message. I know it was for me. So I encourage you, stick around, okay? God bless you.
God bless you. Thank you so much for paying such close attention to the countdown. I just appreciate it so much. The careful consideration they give to the five-minute countdown. <laughs> All right, there's too much love in the room. Cut that out. Now cut that out. God bless you. Wow. It's this group back here. They're the troublemakers. They're the, it's them, right? It's Dennis. It's Dennis. <laughs> That's right. We can't have a church where people are greeting one another like that. What are you doing? <laughs> God bless you this morning. Yeah, it's too, you're too friendly. Knock it off. That's okay. <laughs> Praise God. It's good to be a loud church, isn't it? Amen. Amen. You can be loud in here. I'm all right with that. So I'm having to pull double duty all morning this morning with everybody out with Bob. I had Bob and Pastor Anna and Pastor Jimmy all lined up. And so I want to encourage you with your offerings. I I, I just preach that you need to listen to God. You need to listen to God when it comes to what you give. And uh, let me just remind you, it's an act of worship. And it tells God, you're my number one priority. We say it a million times in here. You want to see what your priorities are? Look at your checkbook and look at your calendar. And that'll tell you what your priorities are. So I encourage you also be in prayer as we get towards the end of the year. For your end of the year giving, we could really use it this time of year. And also extra benevolence would be wonderful as well. This is a time of year people need help with, whether it's firewood or whether it's uh, help with their PG&E bill or groceries or presents this year. And I just encourage you to be in prayer about that in your end of the year giving. Uh, and pray for us as a staff. You know, we want to be good stewards of God's money. And it's a very heavy responsibility. I think I... I shared this several years ago, about 11 years ago when I got here, um, I, I had, as a senior pastor, I mean, as a worship leader, music pastor, youth pastor, children's pastor, you don't see the giving records or the offerings, you don't see any of that, and so I think it was my second or third week here, all right, and I, or no, no, second or third month here, and I had to put the giving records together to send out for people's taxes. And uh, I'll never forget there was someone in here who was faithful every single week. And the amount was nominal. It was like $5, $10. It wasn't a lot. But I remember seeing every single week, and it scared me to death in a good way. The fear of God that the responsibility for the faithfulness of God's people and their resources so I immediately turned at the time Rick McCarley and I said, don't you ever show me those giving records again. That scared me. And it's a good kind of fear when it comes to our, our offerings. My, my grandmother would pray over every time she got her paycheck, she prayed over it. And then every time she gave an offering, she prayed over it. And I encourage you to be conscious and be purposeful in the same way. That's all. Just do what God tells you to do. Amen. Amen. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for providing resource for us. Thank you, God, that most of us have food in the fridge, gas in the tank, and a roof over our head. You are our provider. 
And Father, as, as a part of this community, we want to be able to bless those that, that maybe need help with those areas. And so, Father, we, we want to be a giving church, a generous church, a church that doesn't have to worry about paying the essential bills, but more is looking to how much we can give and, and serve our community. So, Father, bless this offering. Give us wisdom as a staff and a board in utilizing your resources, God. Bless those who have a heart to give this morning. Bless those for giving online this morning. Show up in ways they never imagined because, God, you are our source and you take care of your children. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I wasn't going to mention my grandmother this morning because I, I do almost every week. And... Uh, but I just realized this song was one of her top three. She had How Great Thou Art was her number one, Leaning on the Everlasting, and then this one this morning. So why don't we stand to our feet as we receive your tithes and offerings, and we'll also just give our best to God, not just with our offerings, but with our offering of worship this morning.
give Denise to you this morning, God, as she continues to recover from her surgery. We lift up Bob's mother to you this morning and pray peace and health upon her body. We lift up Virgie to you, God, and Lori and Kelly and so many others that I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting, but God, you know. But you know, God. We thank you, God, for being able to be in the public schools the past couple of weeks. And we just ask you, Lord, to let us be a light, a city on a hill. Father, we just want to represent you well. As we continue in this service, God, will you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts? Would you make us receptive to what your word has for us today, Lord Jesus? Will you help us to walk out of here differently than we walked in? Full of love for you and love for your people, God. Help us today, Lord. Help us. We need you, God. We give you our hearts. We give you our souls. And we bless you this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. God bless you. Did I stop everything? Okay, there we go. I got too many bells and whistles up here. It's getting confused. How you doing? Everybody okay? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it's upon you too. And we have been in a series called The Tug of Wars, and we've been talking about different kinds of tug of wars. This morning is probably the most personal one for me. And hopefully most life-changing as it was in my life, it'll be for you too talking about this battle that we have between the flesh and the spirit. The battle for sin in our lives that the devil has waged war on us about. But praise the Lord, there is victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Christ has the victory for us when we walk with Christ. In fact, you may be there today having that victory as you walk in Christ, but then all of a sudden... Out of nowhere, you make a decision, and a sin temptation comes up, and before you know it, you failed once again. Amen? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Anybody can relate to that. Everybody has fought with sin. You think you have defeated it in your life, and the next thing you know, you're on your face all over again. Lord, I won't do it again, I promise. I don't know about you, but it's been kind of a cycle in my whole life, my whole Christian walk. It's almost like there's a sense of, 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 of Satan puts sin on repeat in my flesh. And it just keeps going around and around. Remember we talked about this. Not everybody, hopefully this morning, had problems with all ten commandments. Hopefully nobody woke up this morning going, I hope I didn't go kill anybody today. But we all have problems with one or two things in our lives. These things that just seem to creep up all the time. And this abundant life that we're looking for, and it's found in walking in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is available to us. We have to get on the other side of all of this. Because the neglect of the Holy Spirit in this fight, the enemy has kept us from understanding. Most Christians live this perpetual defeat. At least that's been the story of most of my Christian life. So I want you to know that the victory is ours up front this morning. That's what we're going to look at this morning. In Galatians chapter 5, that's where I found this. 
Galatians chapter 5. In verse 16 it begins. But I say walk in by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So let me give you a little backdrop because everything in the Bible, remember, is that the three major rules in the Bible is context, 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 right? So the backdrop is Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia. And he's addressing these false teachings that have crept up into the church. These were these religious leaders who were teaching that these churches, in order for them to be truly saved, they not only had to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but they also had to continue following the practices in Judaism. Jesus was fine. That's good. Worship Jesus and follow him. But in addition to Jesus, you'll also need to follow these rules and laws and ceremonies of the Jewish customs. They were adding works of the flesh to the work of the gospel. And Paul basically spends his entire letter telling them, if you add these works to the flesh and this to the finished work of Christ, you're nullifying the finished work of Jesus Christ. So here's the quick synopsis in Galatians. Paul says, you are saved by grace alone, through great faith alone, in Christ alone, and your salvation is not a byproduct of your effort or your desire to be religious or do the right thing. Hallelujah. But rather it is a gift of God by his grace. And it is received on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. He resurrected. And it's in him alone, Jesus, that we find eternal life. Amen. So this is what Paul's been teaching, but these Judaizers come in there and they have this argument. Well, if you keep teaching this whole grace-filled stuff, then all these people are going to do whatever they want and live in sin over and over again because they got all this grace, Paul. But Paul goes on to share is that the gospel not only provides the payment of the penalty of our sin, but also breaks the power of sin in our lives. That is a wonderful statement. It breaks the power of sin in our lives. Here's what happens. It's pretty simple. You're given the gift of the Holy Spirit and when you're saved. And because we have the Holy Spirit, sin no longer dominates our lives. We can now live victorious. And Paul says the gospel does something for us that the law couldn't do. See, the law can't change your behavior. It can only show us our sin. What the law couldn't do God now has done through Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's able to make us this new creation now so we can live this life that we never could have apart from him. So let's look at this idea of a spirit-filled life that leads to a life of victory over sin. I think this is a powerful, powerful message. I do. It spoke to me. This is one of those messages that I believe God made me preach so I would hear it more than once. So I want to give two things about our struggle with sin that I want us to see. The first one is that we have to realize the struggle with sin is an absolute war. 
It is a all-out war. In verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. He's saying if you're not in Christ, this is an interesting take. Listen to me. If you're not in Christ, you have one nature. And if you're in Christ, you have two natures. Let me explain. Here's what it looks like. When he says the desires of the flesh, this is reference to our sin nature. Every one of us was born with it. The Bible tells us that. That we come from Adam's seed and it was handed down and we inherited this sinful heart. We have a heart that's bent towards rebelling against the things of God. So we, by our very own nature, we want to pursue the things of the world. And we rebel against God's design. That's our nature and God's order. We want to get rid of that. But then, when we, have, when we are born again, when we have received Christ and surrendered our life to God, the Bible said we're given a brand new life. And a new life there is made alive in Christ. See, here's what I would suggest. When you come to faith, that see, a lot of Christians believe this. They do this. Well, now that I'm a Christian, my battle with sin is over. <laughs> but I would tell you that I believe the battle has just begun. Because before Christ, it wasn't a battle at all. You lived according to the flesh. But once you made alive in Christ, now suddenly there's this awareness of sin and their desire for holiness. Suddenly there are these two natures at war, at this tug of war within us. There's a spirit of God, there's the flesh, the sin, our own nature, it's all at war. So there's a work that the spirit wants to lead us into becoming like Christ. And then there's the work of the flesh that just wants to please ourselves. This explains a lot of struggles, I don't know for you, but for I have. Why is that I want to please God, and yet I don't please God? Why is it that there are things that I know I should do for him, and everything in me fights against that? Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7, verses 19 to 21. You may have heard this before. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it is the sin that is living in me that is doing it. And Paul is basically saying, I feel like there's this tension in my life. This is how Paul describes it. So I discovered the principle that when I want to do right, evil is at hand. Do you ever feel like that? You get up in the morning, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to love his people. Holy Spirit, enable me today as I get out of bed and I walk in my life. I just want to reflect you. And then you get on Ridge Road and some jerk cut you off. <laughs> that goes right out the window, doesn't it? And you start waving and not like this. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Or you're having a good day, and then that one person says something to you, and it just sets you off. I want to do good, but evil is at hand. Continuing, Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 22, he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 
In other words, my spirit longs to do the things of God. Then he says this, but I see in my members or body another principle at war with the law of my mind, taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members or my body. There's this dual nature. My sin fighting against the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It is so frustrating. One thing we have to realize is that sin is not a game. And the problem with most of us and most in the Christian church, the reason we live our lives dominated by sin is because we think it's playtime when it's wartime. The reality is the enemy wants to destroy the work of Christ in our lives. You can't live with a peacetime mentality in wartime. You must understand that this is a very real battle. If you've ever seen your kids play sports, my daughters were very competitive. I, they got it from their mom. <laughs> in fact, they, they, hated, they hated losing more than they loved winning. Does that make sense? <laughs> They were very competitive. And I remember we would watch on the sidelines of one of Rebecca's soccer games or by the side of the pool at the swim meet, particularly in the soccer games when they were a little bit younger, you would see one team looking around, following the butterflies, talking with each other, running around, fooling around. And then this other team is out there running drills, doing passes and kicking the ball. And Debbie and I would sit back and go, we're going to get killed. She goes, why? I think Becca just caught a butterfly. (laughs) They think it's just playtime. They're not taking it seriously. Now, I'm not talking about when they're like five or six years old. I'm thinking like more like when they're seven. But But you know what I mean. When they you could tell when they just don't care. Most of us, when it comes to sin, we approach this same struggle with the same as these kids approach the game sometimes. It's like it doesn't matter. It's okay. I'm saved by grace. We need to understand that we have a very real enemy, and he's making war against Christ in your life. The two natures, flesh and spirit. So let's talk about what each one wants to do. What's their motive? What's their end game? Here's the first one. Sin wants to produce the ever-destroying works of the flesh. That's what it wants to do. It wants to destroy. Going back to Galatians chapter 5, look what he says in verse 19. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. So how do I identify my sin nature? Paul says you don't got to look very far. Let me tell you what it is. He says this. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousness, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. (coughs) Gosh, did he have to go on so long? And then he says this, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past. Paul's like a parent, right? I've told you this before, and I'm telling you again, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I would underline that. 
Because some of us would look at that list and go, oops. Well, no, I'm good there. No. So what does he mean by do such things? That means if I've ever committed those things, I'm not going to heaven? No. It doesn't mean that. He's saying who practices these things. He's saying it's a lifestyle. (coughs) If you've decided, yeah, I know what the Bible says, I'm still going to do this. The Holy Spirit's convicted you, and you go, yeah, but my flesh really likes this. He's saying then that's your lifestyle. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, I don't care how much you love Jesus. He says, I don't care if you've walked down the aisle and prayed a prayer. I don't care if you've been baptized. If this is your lifestyle right there, your list, then you are living to the old nature. You are living according to that old nature. And if you're living according to the old nature, then you don't have a new nature. Paul is saying if you live like this, you're not going to lose your salvation. Paul is saying if you live like this, you probably never had salvation. Is this too tough this morning? Everybody had their coffee? Are we all right? (laughs) Just checking in a little bit. Because we have too many people in the church today who have a little bit of religion and no relationship with Jesus. They swear they're going to heaven, but they live like they're going to hell. A relationship with Jesus will manifest itself with a difference in a lifestyle. (coughs) It doesn't make us perfect, but it does make us being perfected. The glory of it is, a lot of times, if you just let Jesus do it, you won't even realize it's happening. Somebody else will, or something will come up. I know that was the way it was for Debbie and I. We weren't necessarily coming to church over 30 years ago to find Jesus. We were trying to find friends and normal people who wanted to raise their kids. I know, normal people. Did I blow it there? (laughs) But you know, we just wanted somebody with a common goal. Let's just live our lives. And and all of our friends were still partying. I mean, it was the 80s, right? They were still partying pretty heavily in the 80s and 90s. And then we realized we just didn't want to live like that anymore. And we didn't know what was happening. We didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit starting to convict us and change our lifestyle. I'll never forget when my pastor called me to a full-time ministry. He told me I couldn't have alcohol in my house and he didn't want me drinking. It was such a bad testimony and he had had some bad uh, experiences with it. And I went, "Uh uh-oh. So I called my wife and I said, Debbie, Pastor Larry does not want us to have alcohol in the house. He goes, my wife said, Eric, we haven't had alcohol in this house in six months. What are you talking about? Oh, see, we were living a different lifestyle. We got saved, and God was changing us. We weren't perfect, but we're being perfected. So I want to encourage all of us to examine ourselves like Paul would say. And say, am I really in the faith? Because I, I don't want you to be deceived. Paul is writing this to Christians. He's going through the list. While we don't practice this lifestyle, many people struggle with these things. He puts them up in four categories. Four categories of sin. Paul talks about the sin of sexuality, sin of religion, sin of relationships, and then sin of indulgences. Or it's just like overfeeding the flesh with things of this world. You can break it down to this way. If you have a black horse, let's say that represents sin and your flesh, and you have a white horse, which is like God's righteousness and the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have these two horses in a tug of war, which one's going to win? The one that you feed. 
And so many of us are feeding the wrong horse, and we wonder why we're walking into feet all the time. Now, this is going to sound... This is going to sound a little elementary, but I think it's going to help us all. The Holy Spirit will never tempt you to look at pornography. The Holy Spirit will never entice you into an immoral relationship. The Holy Spirit will never give you same-sex desires. The Holy Spirit will never encourage you to have a fit of rage or blow someone up because they made you mad. The Holy Spirit will never encourage you to slander someone behind their back. The Holy Spirit will never encourage you to have division among your people. The Holy Spirit will never encourage you to envy what belongs to somebody else. The Holy Spirit will never try to woo you into over-drinking alcohol. The Holy Spirit won't do that, but you know what will? Your flesh. Your flesh will. The moment we understand that we are at this war, in this moment with these temptations, and they rise up, We've got to acknowledge it's wartime. This is the enemy trying to draw me away from God's plan in my life. We've got to understand it's not a time to play. It's a time to surrender. The Spirit wants to do something as well. So that's the struggles of the flesh. Let's look at what the Spirit wants to do in Galatians 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's generosity, it's faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Pretty cool. Pretty cool fruit right there. But I want you to notice something. Notice how it says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. We always think it's, it's plural, but it's singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And people say it all the time. The fruit of the Spirit is a word picture, and it's describing the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit. So when Paul says, if you want to know what it looks like, look to Jesus. He's the embodiment embodiment of love and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's who Jesus is. So what the Spirit wants to produce in your life is the nature and the life of Jesus Christ, the character of Christ. And oftentimes we we want the effect of the Spirit, but we still want to be in control. But the life of victory is not in us being in control, it's Jesus being in control. This is the whole issue. Now you know me, I'm, I'm pretty conservative Pentecostal, but I'll tell you something. This is why why baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, why it seems so freaky to so many, because you think you're in control all the time. And if you're willing to release the control of your tongue over to the Holy Spirit and let him pray and intercede for you, it's a great exercise in seeing how to let go and let God. It's evident in your life, and it'll help you with that. Jesus needs to be in control. Whenever Christ is being produced in our life, it's the Holy Spirit doing the work. This is the key to Christian life. If it's not you working for Christ, it's Christ working through you. 
That's a good word. I should put it on the screen. There it is. It's not you working for Christ. It's Christ working through you. Amen. The idea of growing in maturity is not you trying in your own effort to be like Christ. Oh, if I could just do this, if I could do that. It's you dying to yourself so that Christ can then be alive in you. And when that happens, he begins to live in you rather than you trying to live for him. Does that make sense? When that happens, he begins to live in you rather than you trying to live for him. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 15, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Christian life is not trying to wield yourself to become or will yourself to become like Christ. The Christian life is you as the branch abiding in the vine so that the life in you may be produced out of you. It's like this. You don't walk into an apple orchard, right? You don't walk into an apple orchard, a bunch of apple trees, and you don't hear the branches going, can I just make a pop out an apple? Try to pop out an apple. You don't hear the struggle. They don't have to consciously think, oh, if I could just make an apple, everything will be okay. No, as long as the branch is connected, the vine is connected to the branch. The branch is connected to the trunk. It is that job. Your job is just to produce the fruit. It's in your DNA now. You're attached. You're abiding in the tree. When you have Christ in your life and abide in him, then he produces the fruit, amen? God does not want you to produce Christ. He wants to produce, he wants to produce Christ. He just wants you to bear the fruit of Christ. I think so many times we miss what Christ wants to do with us because we're trying to do this independently. We're trying to do this work on our own. So here's the question today. How do I walk in this victory? How do I get this? Well, here's truth number two, okay? Here it is. Our struggle with sin is an absolute war. We got that. But our victory over sin is absolute surrender. I know it doesn't make any sense. But does Jesus ever make sense when he does some of these big sentences? Love your enemies. What? You want to win in the victory? Surrender. What? You want to live? You need to die. What? Our victory over sin is absolute surrender. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says it this way. But I say, walk by the Spirit. This phrase, walks by the Spirit, is a lifestyle of surrender. A lifestyle. Complete, utter surrender. Walking by the Spirit means that you have come to a place of absolute surrender. Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean you're walking around going, oh, I have a word of prophecy for you. I have a tongue for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to knowledge for you. I'm gonna... It isn't like that. Walking by the Spirit is surrendering to God constantly in every situation. You have yielded control of your life to the Holy Spirit. No matter what impulses you have, desires that rise up in you, you are going to submit those desires to the Holy Spirit, and you're going to, be, you're going to get above the flesh that we're talking about here. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That is a killer promise right there. That is bomb. I love the Bible. Notice the promise that goes, and he says, when you surrender this way to the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. A guaranteed victory. That the desires of flesh that rise up in us when we walk by the Spirit, there's no room for that flesh. So let me ask you a question. Can you be actively walking in full submission under control of the Holy Spirit and still be doing whatever sin is in your life? No. You can't walk by the Spirit and live under submission and the control of the Spirit and actively gossip or slander someone. Paul is showing us that when we live under submission of the Holy Spirit, under his control, he gives us victory over these impulses in the flesh. And what we do need to do with those that we submit these sins, these desires of the flesh, we submit them. We come before the Holy Spirit and say, I need your power. I can't do it. I need your strength. I want your ways, your desires, that your place can be be greater than the desires of the flesh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit overflowing so that there's no room for my flesh. So how is it possible? Well, Galatians 5.24 tells us, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now there are two, two ideas here. The first one is this. If you're in Christ, you belong to Christ. If you are in Christ, you belong to Christ. Your life is no longer your own. I remember having a, my daughter, Rebecca, as many of you know, is, is a great worship leader and a terrific singer. And I remember trying to really get her rooted and grounded that that voice was for the local church. Because, you know, everybody's telling her at that time, you know, you're talking 20 years ago, get on American Idol, get on TV, you need to do this, you need to do that. And Christian artists were just starting to come about. And I was at a seminar with Darlene Check, who at the time had written Shout to the Lord and a few other songs. And, and uh, we were in a small room, and one gal raised her hand and very honestly and sincerely just said, Darlene, how uh, can I get my songs out there? Like, I mean, you have songs all over the world. How can I get published? How can I sell myself and, and these songs and get them out to the world? And I love that Darlene Check said, she goes, well, first of all, you can't sell yourself. You've already been bought. You've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I used to tell my daughter that all the time. You belong to Christ. Your life is no longer your own. I love what Darlene Check said. She goes, if God wants those songs, he'll come get them. <laughs> now here's the second look. Notice what he says. If you belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. It's past tense. Paul is saying when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you became born again by the Spirit of God, you were made alive. Now there's something supernatural that has happened in your life. The old nature has been crucified with Christ. It was nailed to the cross with Jesus. It was crucified. That's your flesh. The moment you trusted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, your sin and your flesh are crucified. And even though it still remains to tempt you in sin, it no longer has the power over you. 
The problem is most of us don't know how to live in that kind of freedom. You know how I get most of my theology from movies. One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. There's a great scene in, about prison life that Morgan Friedman is saying. And he has this great quote here. They're talking about the people who have been in prison most of their lives. And he says, The walls that held them captive, that they once hated over time, they grow to love to the point of which when they are free to go, they don't know how to live as free men. Even though they've been made free, they still want to be under the master and the control of the prison. I think that describes a lot of Christians. It's the freedom that Christ has set you free, but we don't know how to live like free men and women. Paul is showing us here that you go, you've got to first recognize that you're no longer a prisoner. You are no longer bound to that, that sin anymore. Stop saying, I used to do this, to, oh, I just can't stop doing that. I just can't help that. I used to say, well, the car, when the car is busted, that's my chink in the armor. I might as well just tell Satan, hey, Satan, you want to know how to get me? Go mess with my car. So we do. We walk in defeat. Well, this will never change. We turn into e Christian Eeyores. It'll never work. We're all doomed. And we get comfortable in that. But Paul is saying here, we're not a prisoner. We aren't doing that. We, remember what I said? What, I've said this for 12 years here. One of the hardest things about being a Christian is to be who you already are in Christ. And those who have Jesus are free, free indeed, free from sin, free from the shackles of this world. It says, look at this, notice in verse 25, he says, not only have you crucified the flesh, you've been freed from the power of sin, but then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He's saying, let's live this life that God has called us to, this lifestyle. The old nature's been crucified. We've been given a brand new life. Now walk in that new life. I used to tell my girls all the time when they would misbehave, hey, hey, we're Hansons. We don't do that. Hansons don't behave that way. We're Hansons. We go to church. We love Jesus. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Be who you are. Be who you are. Paul is saying your key to spiritual victory over sin is to keep in step. With the Spirit. That means submitting ourselves constantly. In football, they have a great term in football. It's called take a knee. There are times when the best way to win the game is to stop, take a knee, let the game timer run out because you've already obtained the victory. A couple of weeks ago, I caught this in my, my uh, news feed somewhere. A couple of weeks ago, the college football team, and I don't watch a lot of college football. Maybe some of you do will know about this. The Miami Hurricanes had 34 seconds left in the game. They were ahead 20-17 to 17 over Georgia Tech with only 34 seconds. It's all locked up. It's third down. There's less than a minute left. 
All they had to do is get in what was called victory formation. That's when the quarterback takes a snap, he takes two steps back, and he takes a knee. That's all they had to do. I have the clip. Coulter? <laughs> yeah, like you should not be handing this football off. Right. I don't know what Miami is doing. That's it. Here's Cheney. Just straight ahead. Tackled, and the ball popped out. They've got to read, got to read the clock. I mean, they would read the card. I mean, to and me, Georgia Tech has it with 26 seconds left. Kyle Kennard comes up with the fumble. You should not be running the football. I mean, it, it is, it, you should be taking a knee. As soon as you got that first down, they used that last time out. As long as you milk it all the way down, you don't need to be doing this, and you certainly don't need to be fighting for extra yards. Is it out as he hits the ground, or is he on the ground? Elbow down. It stopped the clock by spiking. Snap to King. Miami brings four. King's in trouble. Throw it behind the intended receiver, Cooley, incomplete. Guys that are way down the field. Three to the field for King. Up in the pocket. Going to loop it down the field, and it is caught. And that's Rutherford, who hangs on to it in Miami territory. And you got to get up and clock it. The cleats have got to be in the ground as soon as the whistle, as soon as they wind it, you got to clock it. Here's King. He will clock it. Four seconds come off the clock with the receivers to the top of the screen. Here's King from the pocket. Flush to his right with six, five. Going to loop it downfield. And ball is caught. Touchdown, Georgia Tech. With one second to go in the ball game, Christian Leary holds it in. I mean, I'm going to say it, it needs to be said, that's one of the biggest coaching mistakes at this level that I have ever seen in my lifetime. You should not be running the football. You run the football at fumbles, and then you give up a score. That is devastating for a 4 0 Miami team. That is one of the worst coaching mistakes I've ever seen, he says. They had the victory. All they had to do was take a knee. The win was theirs. But rather than resting in the victory that they had already fought for, that has already been won for them, they tried to do something they shouldn't have done. And because in their own effort, they were trying to do more, rather than rest, they failed. But if they would have just taken a knee, surrendered the moment, to the victory that was already theirs. They would have been on their way right now potentially to a national championship. And brothers and sisters, this right here, this right here is victory formation. This is how we do it. We have to surrender those things. When those temptations come up, Instead of trying to fight it, we say, God, I surrender. I give it to you. I am in my victory formation. And I'm going to let you fight the battle. I'm going to allow you to come out in my life. Jesus Christ has already secured the victory for us. Amen. 
He has already defeated the enemy once and for all. He has conquered him, and the victory that he has given you is to rest in what has already been secured. Just like that football game, they had already secured the victory. They just needed to take a knee. So what do you do? What do I do? We take a knee. You submit to the Holy Spirit. I've made promise after promise for you, Lord. I keep on promising and I keep on blowing it. I need to get in my victory formation. Father, when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's your strength, it's you that gives me victory. Stop trying to be the vine, be the branch. Be the, you know what I mean? Be, stop trying to produce the fruit and let God produce it. I mean, let me just ask a quick question. How many in this room, out of all these things we've talked about and all this sin, how many in this room fight a couple of those things? You just raise your hand right here if you fight a couple. Now look around the room. The people that don't have their hands up, lying. Lying is their sin. That's what they're dealing with. And we'll pray that they get delivered today. We all do. And look, I could, I could form an altar call up here, but I know what happens. You sit there going, well, I don't want people to wonder what sin I'm up here doing. You know, that's why pastors don't go to altar calls. Pastors go to altar calls and people go, what's wrong? What's wrong with our pastor? Nothing's wrong. But it's, this altar is important. Don't get me wrong. This altar is. But you know what's more important? The altar of your everyday life. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell people, all the, tell the kids and, and youth, I said, look, this is an important altar call. But you want to know the most important altar call? At your locker. It's in the cafeteria. It's in the back seat of the car. It's at that party. Our altar has to take place every day, every moment, constantly. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? I hope today you will put those sins on the altar and you will surrender. You will get in victory formation and get and take a knee and say, Father, no longer am I going to try to fight this battle. No longer, God, am I going to try to produce the fruit. Instead, God, I'm going to allow you to do it. You have already conquered sin in my life, God. You have already gone to the cross for me. You've already defeated the enemy. And now I'm going to rest in that victory and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, help me. Help me in my sin. Help me when my flesh rears up that I don't look at it as playtime, but I look at it as wartime. That I don't just cast it off like it's no big deal and then let it fester and grow and build. Instead, God, let me recognize for what it is and surrender it unto you. I guess what I'm saying, Lord, is we need you. Every hour of every day, I need thee. And Father, I just ask you to empower all of us today. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't care about what our flesh is doing. 
But because we have that new nature, Holy Spirit, it's, we give you permission to convict us of those things that are preventing us from being who you have created us to be. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to quicken our hearts, to know when we are getting in trouble, when we're veering off the path, when we're failing to feed our spirit. Instead, we are feeding the flesh. I give you permission, Holy Spirit. Show me. And then, Father, help me to be humble enough to take a knee. Surrender it unto you. As we walk out today, we walk out victorious. We walk out with victory in Jesus. We hold our head high because there's no condemnation for those in Christ. We are not perfect, but we are being perfected. We will walk out of here today knowing we're only human. We live in this flesh tent, but we will walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in all of us this week, every hour of every day. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, the church said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. I love you. I will hope to see you Wednesday. And don't forget, turn your clocks back on Saturday night and sandwich Sunday on Sunday. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Brenda. <laughs>